Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Hi. Oh my goodness, some of you guys are in that video and that was filmed in 2020 when we were not here, right? I was just talking with Mike and Kathy about how amazing it is to be singing Christmas songs together this year. Um, so yeah, we're here, we're back. It's, I'm, I'm so, so grateful and so happy to see, see so many of you tonight. Um, I'm Christy and Brooke said, um, Brooks and I have been pastoring this church together since 2013, and I'm having a really hard time remembering what life was like before that. It's been such a wonderful and rich eight years, and I'm so honored um, to be with you today in this way and share with you what really is, I mean, I love summer, but there's something about this time of year that I really love, and I'm excited to share with you what I've been learning um, and in the Advent season, I think it's, we're, we're approaching the end of the year. Um, it's a time to reflect on the year behind us. And I think we're all just really aware of time, um, especially in times of a pandemic, right? Um, I'm really aware of calendars lately in my house with a big family and the age spread of our kids is like ages two all the way up to 12. There are so many activities that are always going on. Um, with our older boys, it's, we've got sports calendars and their school calendars, their youth group stuff. And with the little ones, it's um, appointments and preschool stuff and play dates. Um, Brooks and I, of course, have our own calendar going on. And just, we have a meal planning calendar. My kids are really familiar with our meal planning calendar. They're always looking at that one. Um, I wish I was a little more techie and could sync all of these calendars in a way that made our life more simple at home, but I just haven't gotten there yet. They're all taped to my fridge and it looks kind of chaotic. And it's the side of my fridge. I hope if you come to my house, you never see. I try to hide it, but it's my crazy calendar planning space. Um, but today I want to talk to you about the church's liturgical calendar. That's something I've been studying recently. And depending on how you grew up, um, liturgy might feel kind of like a heavy word. Like, isn't that a lot of tradition? Um, a lot of standing up, sitting down. Um, I didn't grow up in the church. And so liturgy recently has meaning to me. Uh, essentially what it means, it's this invitation for us to participate together in sacred activities. Um, sacred being that they honor God, they remember God, they um, give them praise. One we do often here at Westside is communion. That is a liturgical thing we do here together and it brings God so much honor. So then the liturgical calendar, that is this invitation to take like our ordinary days, all of your calendars, however many of them you manage, um, 12 months to take those days and very purposefully transform them into sacred time. And that 
in the liturgical calendar that looks like different seasons. We have a slide here. I'm gonna very briefly walk you through a simple explanation of the seasons that, that we remember um, when we look at the church calendar. Um, today is the beginning of Advent. It's today, like churches all over the world are acknowledging that. And it's the season of preparation and anticipation as we acknowledge that God promised us a king who would save us, who would change things for all time. And so we walk through weeks of preparation, anticipating that a savior is coming. And then we have Christmas tide. Um, the savior came, we know this today. We know on January 25th, we celebrate the birthday of Jesus. And this is, at, it's more than a day, it's a whole season. It ends on January 6th. And so this is where we get the 12 days of Christmas. Um, it's not just some weird song, um, although I don't know what the French, horn, French hens and all that stuff is, um, means for this song, but there are 12 um, days of Christmas. And this is a season of feasting, of festivity. Naturally in culture, we find ourselves really doing that anyways, but um, I'm giving you permission today to totally embrace Christmas tide this year. After that is just ordinary time. Um, we don't need to go into that, but then we have another season of preparation um, called Lent. And this time our season of preparation is acknowledging Jesus came and we know that he willingly chose to um, be betrayed. He chose to endure suffering. He chose to endure what hopelessness feels like, what misery, um, and ultimately went to the cross for us to exchange his life for ours. And so that's the time of year where we acknowledge that he did that. And then that culminates, of course, in Easter. We know that he, not only did he die on the cross, but he rose again, he conquered death. And we, this is another celebration season. And again, Easter tied, not just one day, but weeks and weeks of celebrating and anticipating that he came. And there is one more, um, Thing I want to hit right after Easter tide, we have another season of ordinary time until we get to Pentecost. And maybe you're familiar with that word. I just briefly want to tell you what it is because it's, I'm so happy Pentecost happened. And this is why. Um, so Jesus was with us on earth for a season. He died and rose again. He came back to be with people for a while and then he ascended into heaven. Shortly after that, God sent his spirit down to be with us, the Holy Spirit, to be our helper. And people at this time, um, this was the beginning of the church. They had heard about Jesus. Some of them experienced walking with Jesus. Some of them saw his resurrected body, but then the Holy Spirit came and filled them. And people were compelled to keep the message of Jesus going and not just keep it for themselves. They were gathering, they were singing, they were praising. Pentecost is the church's birthday. And thank God it happened because that's why we're here today because it continued on and on and on. Um, so, Christmas tide is really good news, especially for those of us in the room who have been maybe decorating since November. Um, if anyone in here has been decorating since October, I have a special gift for you in a little bit here. But I want to tell you it's such good news because I think it's biblically accurate to keep like your decor up all the way till January 6th. We don't have to have the letdown on did I say January 6th? We don't have to have the letdown that happens on December 26th. It is totally appropriate to keep celebrating and keep the festival going. But first we have Advent, the season of waiting and the season of preparation. And so if Pentecost was our church's birthday, what could we compare Advent to? Any ideas? What holiday could we compare it to? Happy New Year? 
Yes, really, like today, it's, it's real. Today is Happy New Year according to the church calendar. And while there's nothing wrong with January 1st and the resolutions and our commitment to getting healthy um, being New Year's Day, I love the idea that in this season of preparation, of anticipating a savior who's coming to change our lives, this is when we celebrate the new year. Advent is our annual reminder that our lives are about waiting for a savior. Yes, we know that he came, but we know that the kingdom isn't all the way here yet. And so we get to remember that God has, there's more to come. And before we continue, I just have a little bit of word of Advent caution. I'm not the first person to, in 2021 to look at the liturgical calendar and try to figure out how to um, make the season last even longer. Um, if you look online for Advent activities, you'll find no shortage of books and blogs and ideas for extending the season in your home to make it more than just Christmas presents under the tree. Um, when we first started to celebrate Advent, when our boys were, so we have four kids, but when we first started celebrating, we just had the two and they were really young. And we would, um, we're like, we want, to, we want them to know Christmas is so much more than the presents under the tree, right? And so we had something called a Jesse tree going in one portion of our house. And it's a really great tradition, but maybe a little over their heads. You do a reading every day and you're trying to help them connect the fact that Jesus had this long family lineage that goes all the way back into the Old Testament. And so they would color this ornament and we'd hang it on the Jesse tree, but they, that wasn't good enough. They wanted to hang it on my Christmas tree with all my like pretty decorations. And that was really obnoxious to me. It's like, no, that's for the Jesse tree. Well, what's the Christmas tree for then? I don't know. And then we had the advent log and all the candles. And I still honestly didn't quite understand when we were supposed to light them, but it was there and it looked pretty good. Um, there's, then there's also the baking and the holiday like traditions and the school stuff, the church stuff. Um, and it was just very exhausting. And one time I went to like order candles for our log on Amazon and Advent candles are pink and purple and I had no idea why. And I'm like, this doesn't go with my Christmas decor either. But what I had missed was that Advent isn't about adding more. It's not about more activity, but Advent is about waiting. It's the kind of waiting that God has in mind for us. And another word for this waiting is hope, the kind of hope that God has for us. Let's pray before we continue. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together this year at Advent. We pause and just reflect on your goodness. We remember who you are. We remember what you've done. We acknowledge that you're with us and that you promise to continue to be with us. We look forward to knowing that there's more to come, that you're not finished yet. Help us understand hope from your perspective. We give you these next few minutes, Lord. Holy Spirit, be with us. Be speaking to us. Be shaping our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, today we're going to read from Romans, a few sections in Romans. It's an incredible book, and um, I tried to just truncate a few passages to share with you today. But what's so important about this letter is it helped um, the churches that were developing at the time. So it was a letter written in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. And it was purposely directed towards all these new Christians and the new churches forming after Pentecost. Probably, it was probably written about 30 years after Pentecost. 
And um, there was a lot of division at that time, not because people necessarily wanted that, but it was the first time they were getting together. And there was people that came, there was the Jewish people that always felt really close to God historically. They felt like they were the insiders and God certainly did use them for special purposes throughout time, but it wasn't meant for them to be superior to everyone else. And everyone else at the time would have been considered anyone not Jewish. Um, otherwise known as the Gentiles. They were our second-class citizens of the day. So here they are. They, Jesus came, they knew about him, or they've heard about him, and they want to know, what do we do next? And so Paul wrote this letter to help them um, kind of grapple with some of the divisions, with some of the, the class issues that they were facing. He was the perfect candidate to do this. Paul was um, a Jew. He was a Roman citizen. And back then, that that is someone in society that was really looked upon. He um, was well-educated, and he was really familiar with the Jewish law. He knew what it meant to obey the law to a T. People would look at him and they would say, Paul, he's righteous. He knows what he's doing, and he definitely knew what it felt like to be an insider. Um, so he could really relate to the Jews in this way. Well, Paul had, um, you might be familiar with this, and I'm going to cover it just briefly, but Paul had a dramatic conversion experience where he had to let go of any righteousness that he had um, in himself, in his status, in the way people looked at him and in his lineage. Um, Jesus very quickly let him know that this is not where your righteousness comes from. See, Paul, because he was such um, a defender of the Jewish law, he felt threatened by all these new churches. He felt threatened by the spread of Christianity. He was actually going and finding new Christians. He was persecuting them. He was murdering them. And at this point in his life, he was chasing them down. He was on his way to a town called Damascus. And um, he was going to go find the Christians that had gone there to go spread the good news and bring them back. He's like, I, I just need to control this. They're getting too far away with this message of Jesus. So he's on his way to go get them. And he's literally not, he literally sees the light. He saw the light of Jesus came to him in a um, sort of like in his spirit version and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul was struck blind. For the next three days, he couldn't eat where he couldn't drink. He, everything that was important about him, everything that he had built his life upon was suddenly gone. In, in Damascus, there was a man named Ananias who heard from, who God told him, he's like, Paul's gonna come. I want you to go and tell him about me and see what happens. Ananias obeyed. He found Paul in his hungry, blind state he told him the gospel. Paul instantly could see. He started eating and drinking and he was baptized. And for the rest of his life, he was committed to letting everybody know that they belonged because he personally experienced what it was like to be like top of the class, got struck down on his back blind, and he realized my righteousness comes from Jesus alone. I want the whole world to know. So again, he could really relate to the Jewish people but he cared desperately about the Gentiles knowing that they are not second-class citizens, that Jesus came for them. They didn't have to try to obey the law or try to puff themselves up. He was for them. He wanted to transform their identity as seeing themselves as less than and let them know that Jesus is for them. So we're gonna go into this letter. We're gonna start in Romans 3. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. 
The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Paul is emphasizing here, this righteousness is given as a gift. Believe me, I know this, I experienced it, he's saying. It's only through Jesus, not something that we can earn. And then we're gonna continue on into Romans 8. The law of Moses wasn't, wasn't unable to save us, wasn't unable to save Paul because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully satisfied now for us. Who no, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh, in fact, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God, nor can it do so. And again, Paul is probably reflecting on his own life at this point. He's saying, if you desire, if you put your desires in things here on earth, it's, it's just going to lead you to decay, to death. These things will deteriorate. We need to be transformed and care about the things that God cares about. Paul goes on later in the New Testament to say, um, he actually, he tells people, he's like, look, if anyone could be made righteous by obeying the law, remember, it was me. But because of my experience, I now consider my right, he calls his righteousness garbage compared to the righteousness that I have in Jesus. We're gonna jump forward a little bit further in Romans um, to see how Paul describes the state of the earth, um, st the state of the world when he lived, because it's really similar to the state of the world that, that um, we live in. I think... Every generation can probably look at the world around them. And if we're looking at it with, with somewhat of a bit of a um, negative stance, we can be like, I don't think it's gonna get much worse than this, right? And I think, I, I think Paul was experiencing that in his day. We certainly have been used to saying that in recent years, right? But Paul's saying, I don't want you to look at the world around you and say that it's a death sentence. That's not at all what I think God has in store for us. I want you to look at it as an expectant mother. You see, she's growing, and in that growing, there's stretching, and there's pain, and there's suffering, but she can continue on because she has a hope. Maybe she can't see it yet, but she knows something is about to be fulfilled. So even when she's in the pains of labor, she can continue. She may not be fully conscious of what she's doing, but she knows that the weight is worth it. That's the state of the world that Paul lived in. That's the state of the world we live in. It's not a death sentence. The end is not near. We are supposed to look at it as if we were an expectant mother. And this is how he describes it. And I think it's just so, so beautiful. We believers, we also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of our future glory. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. 
we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope or wait for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Um, I made this earlier today. This is a loaf of the sourdough bread that the Rice House has been pumping out since March of 2020. Um, <laughs> um, what, I've learned a few things about sourdough in the last year and a half. One is, I, I mean, I'm so glad to have found this hobby. It's been a blessing to my family and to our friends. But um, sourdough bread is great and, it, when it's, and it's definitely worth the wait. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. I heard it starting to rhyme as I was, as I was talking. But um, not only do you wait as you're, making, as you're putting the ingredients together and shaping your loaf. Um, so for me, I'll, I'll make my ingredients like the night before. I'll proof my loaf and you let that go for a good eight to 12 hours. And then you come back and you shape it and you let it rise for a couple of more hours before you bake it. So in order to get its shape, it needs time, it needs to wait. But what's beautiful about sourdough is that starter is something that has taken years to develop. It's, it's not the instant yeast packet that you mix with water and it foams and bubbles and now you have a tool to bake, to bake bread with. Um, the, the wild yeasts develop their sour flavor over time. And from what I know, mine's been going for a couple of years um, before I got it. So it's got great flavor. And in fact, I, I wanna give this away. Um, is anyone in here brave enough to admit you've been decorating for Christmas since October? Or November 1st? November 10th? Oh my goodness. Okay, did anyone have to be the ones in charge of bringing rolls for Thanksgiving? All right, I see a hand back here. This is your loaf of bread. Are you gluten-free? Okay, good. Um, you can come up here and get it. I'm gonna set it over here for you. Sorry, I can't quite see who that is. Oh, well, there you go. Good, good. Um, what's amazing about sourdough is I, I've learned a lot about it. I do my part, but there's nothing I can do about the waiting. And from the waiting like this, all this kind of like messy dough turns into that bread. And in the waiting, there's this mystery of transformation that happens that I have nothing to do with. But it's also kind of like my garden. I love growing tomatoes here in Oregon. They do exceptionally well. I think that's one of the reasons I like to grow them is because I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my part and I'll have some kind of harvest in the summer or in the fall. But again, there, so springtime, if there's any gardens out, gardeners out here, you can totally identify with me. We sense the seasons changing and we know that it's time to go get started in our soil and we pick out our seedlings or maybe you do it all the way from seed and you do everything you know to do and, but you, and you can picture the harvest ahead of you but then there's nothing we can do but wait. We, there's nothing we can but do but wait and in that waiting time there is this mystery of transformation that takes place and I think that mystery of transformation is the kind of waiting that God is inviting us into. But waiting is hard. Um, I live with four kids and so I'm very, I'm very aware of how hard waiting can be. A few weeks ago we had trunk or treat here at um, Willamette Christian Center or 
well, hosted here by Willamette Christian Center. And it was sort of an ordinary Sunday for us. Um, we start our day by having some breakfast together. Um, we send Brooks off to work. And then we wait for church to start. But this particular Sunday was really difficult because trunk or treat was happening. And my nine-year-old looks at the clock and he's doing the math in his head. He's like, hey, mom, what are we going to do while we wait? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I laughed. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I've got stuff to do. Find something to do. Isn't like trunk or treat going to be enough? You know? And, um, but I get it. Waiting is hard. And as I've been thinking about what it means to wait compared to the kind of waiting God has for us, I think we often find ourselves um, doing a few kinds of waiting here on earth. I think we can do distracted waiting. And I probably don't have to unpack this for you too much because the arrival of the smartphone has made it easier than ever to get, to make distraction that much more a part of our lives, right? <laughs> yeah, I got an amen for that. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's the social media, maybe it's games, maybe it's checking the news, which who enjoys doing that these days? I know for me, like I'll start to get on there and see what like Target has for sale. Um, and I can find myself like making my Christmas list way too early or shopping for my kids. Um, it's the consumer in me, right? I have this idle time or this waiting time and I'm choosing to like spend it consuming. And maybe if you're not consuming media on your phone, you're consuming something in the kitchen, even though you're not quite hungry. This distracted way of living. The, I mean, there's some, there's, there can be some purpose for being distracted for a while, but when we have a distracted state of living, my concern is that when we're doing things without thinking about them, it can lead to unplanned addictions as we look for one thing to satisfy us to the next. Another kind of waiting we'll find ourselves in is dreaded waiting. And I, this is the kind of waiting where you know that there's an event that's kind of undefinable, you don't know how it's gonna end, or even something that, that you're not wanting to happen. Maybe it's a meeting with a boss or with an estranged friend or family member. Um, maybe it's just like the phone call from the doctor that you're waiting to get back, and there's this dread and anxiety that ensues. Um, for Brooks, he, it's the duck football game. <laughs> Every, like on Friday or Saturday, like he'll always tell us like who the ducks are going to play, what time they're playing. He seems all excited. And then he gets on the couch and he cannot sit still. And I have, Brooks is a pretty like cool cat, but he gets so worked up and stressed out, stressed out. And he's like, I can't watch. I can't watch. And I'm like, like, do you even know like the names of the players on the team? Like what's going on? Like he's just gets so caught up. He watches the game like this. And then when it gets really bad, he actually goes into the next room and he'll just like call out in desperation. Like, what's the score? Do I want to know? But like this dreaded waiting, we, the problem with dreaded waiting is it just, it causes us unnecessary pain. It causes stress. It causes anxiety. That is not the way we were meant to live either. We also have disappointed waiting. And this is the kind of waiting where you're actually looking forward to something happening. Like you've planned the vacation or the party or the Christmas gifts and you find yourself on the beach in Mexico and you're sitting there and thinking about how much money you spent and it's not quite going how, how you planned. And you're like, I kind of missed the waiting part. <laughs> Maybe that was the best part of this whole thing. Or you open the gift and it's like, oh, great, you know? This hope that disappoints. 
waiting for desires on earth, if there's something that comes from earth, if there's something that can die, if there's something that can, if they are a thing that can die, if they're a thing that can deteriorate, or if they're a thing that can decay, they're not gonna kind of bring us the kind of hope that God has planned for us. We just read in Romans how God invites us to wait with eager hope. When our hope is in something other than who Jesus is, in what he did, and what he says he's gonna do, it's just this temporary fleeting hope, or cheap hope, which is how I've been thinking about it lately. I, was, um, I had to go get ready the other day and I went into the bathroom and shut the door. As if you've ever had, been in, lived in a house with little kids, you know you have to actually shut and lock the door to get ready. And certainly, I mean, honestly, within a minute, I hear this little knock and this little voice and it's my four-year-old boy. And he says, he says something that sounds like this. He's like, mom, cinnamon rolls outside. I was like, cool, like I'm getting ready for the day. Someone thought of us and dropped off cinnamon rolls on the porch. Like it's Saturday. I wasn't planning for a pastry, but I will certainly like cinnamon rolls are a love language of mine. I'll do it and I don't make them. So this was exciting. So I get ready and I come out and I see Dawson and everyone's just kind of doing their thing. I'm like, where are the cinnamon rolls? And they're like, like what? And Dawson's looking at me and he's like, Solomon's sword? And he's like waving this little sword around. And it occurred to me like, oh, like earlier that week, Dawson had a play date outside with one of his buddies named Solomon. And Solomon had left his sword in our backyard. So through the bathroom door with my four-year-old's little voice, cinnamon rolls outside, or Solomon's sword outside sounded a lot like cinnamon rolls outside. <laughs> and so talk about hope that disappoints. But um, I mean, I'm wise enough not to put my hope in cinnamon rolls. But I, I use cheap hope more than I'd like to admit. I think we all do. I don't think we mean to, but we look for that next thing to give us our fix until we can get to the next thing. And they don't have to be bad things. They can be good things. Like, I would, I would love, I can't wait for the day when the masks are finally gone. Right? For Westsiders, it's like, I can't wait until we're back to Sunday morning services. <laughs> or until we have our own building. Um, <laughs> don't remember, this is cheap hope stuff I'm talking about. But um, a, a great one that we've all probably used is I just can't wait till things get back to normal. As if normal was this like lofty aspiration, right? Even when those things come to pass the way that we wanted, where do we find ourselves doing again? We just look for the next thing. The masks are gonna be gone one day. So if we're putting all, of, I mean, we're not putting all of our hope, but a lot of our hope and attention into thinking about masks and all the mandates that come with them, we're, we're gonna, if that's the kind of life we live and the kind of heart we have, we just find ourselves waiting for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Often things come, come our way that we, that it's exactly how we want it to happen. I know for years I prayed for my kids, like, and they arrived one by one by one, and I really wanted a daughter, and I got a daughter but I can't put my hope in my kids. I can't put that on them. 
And I find myself sometimes thinking about, well, what's next in life? What else can I achieve? And it's, it's a really draining way to live. So are we just so demanding and so ungrateful? Why isn't the thing that we got enough? Why do we find ourselves here again and again? And I don't think, I really don't think that it's not just because we're not thankful enough. Sure, we could work on gratitude, but I think it's more than that. We need to get really comfortable with the idea that our lives are about waiting. The kind of waiting that God has in mind. When we put our hope in these temporary things, we're missing out on the present wait. The wait where that mystery of transformation happens. We do our work in the garden, right? And we we anticipate the harvest of tomatoes or whatever it is that we put in the ground but we have to step back and let the mystery of transformation take place. The thing that only God does, the thing that we trust him with. And what do we do in that time? Well, we can be distracted or we can live with the eager hope that he's describing. We can live with that hopeful anticipation. He is our hope in person. He is our hope eternal. And when we trust him with the transformation, with transforming us as we wait, because we're putting our hope in him and in what he has planned in a reality that we can't quite imagine. But what we do know is it's a reality that has no more suffering. It's a a reality that has no more death. When When we put our hope in that, then when the things on earth don't go the way that we planned, when there's actually a really tragic thing that happens, not just about masks or something like that, when we have to face suffering like we never imagined, we know we'll be okay because our hope ultimately is a living hope. Peter, the apostle Peter goes on to describe it as a living hope later in the New Testament. A living hope that is eternal. You don't have to replace it. You don't have to like refabricate it. It's a hope that's never gonna disappoint. It's really easy, especially as Americans in this civilized society that has so much at our fingertips to put our hope in ourselves. I'm not that bad, you know? I, I mean, I usually, I, I, there's always, it's always easy to find someone else that's just making decisions a little bit worse off than I am. In Luke chapter 13, Um, Jesus was confronted by a group of people who wanted to report to him that a group of Galatians had just been murdered by an evil ruler named Pilate. And they're like, Jesus, did this happen because they were just such bad sinners? That was their question. They were worse than anyone else from Galilee. And Jesus, Jesus was really quick to correct them. He says, certainly not. Not at all. You'll all perish unless you repent and you put your hope in God. I know sometimes I wanna believe that I'm doing well enough to avoid the kind of suffering that I fear most or that someone else is suffering, um, that maybe there was some kind of reason that they had to go through it and I try to avoid that. But Jesus makes it really clear. There will be suffering. So make sure that your hope is in the one eternal. 
Maybe we're putting our hope in other people. You know, I, like I, I said earlier, it, was, it can be tempting to want to put my hope in my kids. Or maybe, maybe you have a kid that's starting to get older and they're starting to make decisions in their life and you're finding your hope is really dependent on the kind of decisions they're going to make. Maybe it has to do with sports or maybe it has to do with their faith. And your hope becomes so centered on that. And it's causing you deep anxiety. Maybe you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you love the way that they make you feel. Or maybe you're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend because you're, you're craving that feeling of what a new relationship can bring you. Looking for that feeling. But we know when we put our hope in people in those ways, when we're trying to squeeze hope out of them because of the way they make us feel or because they can fulfill some kind of desire that we have in our lives, if we put that pressure on them, they will resent us. They may not have the words to describe what's going on, but they're going to feel it. They're going to feel the pressure we're putting on them. And, they're going to be, and it's going to destroy our relationships. We can't put our hope in people. We also can't put our hope in ladders and experiences. You know, maybe you're not trying to, you realize you can't put it in yourself, or you can't put it in people, but you're the kind of person who looked at your career and you said, look, if I, if I um, get to this point at year five, if I invest my funds this way, if I refinance at this time, if I have this done by the time I'm 40 and 50 and 60, I'm gonna have it made. Or if I get to hit this place on my bucket list and have this experience with my family, then I've got it, right? But this kind of hope has us chasing mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. It's a life of chasing. It's a life of not being willing to be present. It's a life that's not looking back, but just looking to the next thing. And again, squeezing the people and resources around us just to kind of get that high again. J.R.R. Tolkien, a great orator, a great man of faith, he says it wonderfully. He says, your false hopes, the things you're putting your hope in, they're more dangerous than your fears. We're really aware of our fears. We're aware of the danger that our, our fears could potentially lead to. He's saying, you're, you, need to be, you need to be aware of the fact that we put our hope in false things. And that's far more dangerous than anything you fear. So this is the message of Christmas, believe it or not. Jesus had to come to earth in flesh. He had to be real because our need is real. Our hopelessness without him is real. Our sin is real and we needed a savior. So he came down. He endured what we endure. He knew what it would feel like to be betrayed and still he did it. He endured temptation. Forget like just being disappointed. He was murdered. And became hope. And so we have Advent here today. It's our annual reminder, thank God it comes every year, to remind us that hope is a person and hope has a name and hope is Jesus. Hope is here. And I read purposely from the book of Romans today to tell you about hope because hope wants, Rome, Paul, the apostle Paul who wrote Romans really wants you to know that hope is for all of you. If you're here today and you're embarrassed about some decisions you've made, hope is for you. Jesus is for you. 
If you feel like the Gentiles who were the second class citizens of the day, who thought they could never compare to the, to the Jewish people, they couldn't obey the law good enough, and that's your identity, I'm just a second class citizen, hope is for you. Jesus wants to transform you. He wants to transform your thinking. If you have perfect church attendance and you feel like you're checking all the boxes and you're doing things right, hope is for you. You don't have to put your hope in yourself and in your activities and in your resume. You don't have to keep extending your bucket list and trying to impress people. Jesus did that for you. He has a better reality in mind, a living hope. We don't have to cheapen hope anymore. You don't have to keep replacing hope anymore. His reality is, is much greater. So this, um, Olivia, we can, you can come up, we're wrapping up here. This Advent season, I invite you all to join with me and prepare for Jesus' arrival just by leading into him more each day. I know our lives are busy and we don't like to wait but next time you find yourself in a, in a time of waiting, whether you're waiting for an appointment to begin, you're at a stoplight, there happens to be some idle time at home, I encourage you not to reach for the phone, not to go to the kitchen, just be quiet for a while and ask the Holy Spirit to meet you. Ask to see the light. If, Paul, if the spirit of Jesus needs to meet you the way that he did Jesus, he will. He'll be faithful. Say, come to me, speak to me. I want to trade my temporary hope. I want to quit trying to come up with hope on my own. And I want to trust in the reality that you have planned, God, the one that's eternal. I don't want to be afraid of eternity. I want to embrace it and just trust that it's good because you're good. You came down just at the right time. You know who I think is actually pretty good at waiting? It's gonna sound ridiculous, but I have some experience in this. Um, my, my preschooler and my toddler are really good at this lifestyle of eager waiting and anticipation. And I know notoriously like little kids seem so impatient when they want something, they want it now. But when you catch them in playtime and then they're in that place where I believe that they're really just taking on their role of a creator in the image of their creator, God. It's so inspiring. Like I'll walk through my house and I'll see like an Amazon box, an empty Amazon box and I see a chore. You know, I have to like break it down and go take it out to recycle, but they see a car and they see a fort and it becomes this plaything for the next couple of hours, right? Or we go on a walk and I just want, some fresh air and some exercise. But I've learned like that's not quite what's gonna happen with them. Um, they're gonna extend it as long as possible for them. This is an opportunity to see thousands of ordinary things that God has put right in front of them. And they're marveling at them. And I'm not kidding, I'm not, they'll see like a puddle with worms in it and they'll get down on their tummies and like play with the worms. They, my four-year-old would literally walk down the street and the leaves are falling this fall. And he's like, it's fall, it's fall. 
and he's gathering acorns and putting them in his pockets. And I know this because I find them in my washing machine later. They're just marveled by all these ordinary things. They hear music and they start dancing. The doorbell rings and they run in eager anticipation to see who it could make could be. It's gotta be good news. And I have no doubt that this is why Jesus instructed us, approach me like a child, approach me with their faith. So I invite you to be less busy this season. I invite you to quit looking for cheap hope. I don't say that to shame you, I do it too. But Advent is a gift to us today. To, be like, to wait like a toddler, to wait like a preschooler. Psalm 140, the writer of the Psalm, he just tells us really simply, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. What happened when I waited? He set my feet upon the rock. Then he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our God. I believe this for every one of us here today and for those of us listening online. God has a new song for you. A new song for you, what will it be? That's my prayer for you, it's a gift this season. Let's pray. God, the older I get, the more I just trust you with time long before any of us ever came to be, you knew exactly what you were doing. There was times of wondering and waiting all throughout history, people suffering in their waiting, people making things happen before they, that you intended them to happen. But just at the right time, you sent Jesus to change everything for all of us. And I thank you for that. And just at the right time, you're bringing the kingdom again. We acknowledge and we thank you that we know that Jesus came to be with us and that the Holy Spirit is with us. But we submit to you now that there is more to come. Help us wait with eager anticipation for the more. We thank you that we know there's no more suffering. We thank you that it's a promise of a glorified body. No more old bones, no more pain. Help us reconcile this beautiful, eternal reality with our current state of here on earth. Help us reconcile the two and live with eager hope and eager anticipation of what you're doing. Help us trust you. You're so worthy of our trust. Work on us little by little, helping us trade our cheap hope, our temporary hope for you who came to be hope. We praise you. We worship you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.